0: well good morning it's good seeing all of you welcome to forest park if you have your bibles grab them Uh, let's let's get into john but before we get into the word um let's pray and ask the lord to make himself known to us and his spirit to guide us into all truth our heavenly father i thank you for your incredible mercy and grace God, thank you that you have made yourself known to us through your Son. And thank you that you have sent your Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Lord, I am just amazed as I read Psalm 27 and I'll call to worship how David was just in awe of dwelling in your presence, how he was so captivated by your beauty. And Lord, this is my prayer for me and for us as a church, that as we enter into your presence, as we gather because you are the one who gathers us, may we be in awe and in captivated by you by your beauty, by your splendor, by your majesty. And may that truth of who you are, as we're so captivated by you, may it transform us that we know it is better to dwell in your presence and serve at the doors than it is anywhere else on this earth. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you make yourself known to us, that you would help us to understand, that you would help us to see the glories and the riches of you, Lord Jesus. And for those who do not know you, Lord, may you open up their eyes to your truth. May they be convicted of their sins. the the false righteousness, the empty righteousness that they cling to, may it be exposed, and the false judgments that they have, may it be made known as they look to you, as they trust you, as they put their faith in you. And Lord, for us who have been following you, Lord, help us uh, to run this race with endurance. Help us to fix our eyes on you, even when we find ourselves in the midst of sorrow. Make yourself known. Lord, I need you. I can't proclaim this word without you. Holy Spirit, just lead my words. Open up our ears, our eyes, our hearts, and our minds. And may this book live to us, O Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John. We're in John chapter 16, verse 4. As We're continuing our series through the Gospel of John. And what John has been trying to show us is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And the way he's been doing it is by first of all showing us how Jesus revealed his glory. And now we're in the part of the book where we're, Jesus is receiving glory from the Father. Now the hour, the last hour has arrived. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for his coming departure. And from the disciples' perspective, it seems that everything is changing for them. It must have felt like their whole world came crashing in. They had dedicated their whole lives to follow Jesus. They've given up everything to follow him, and now he's breaking the news that he is leaving them. And as the Jews looked at the anticipation of the Messiah as somebody to be a political and conquering king, what we're gathering even from the disciples' perspective that their hope was that Jesus was somehow an earthly king. They would rule with them forever. But Jesus is so much different than they thought and so much more than what they could ever expect. And Jesus is leaving them. And he's telling them he's leaving them, and they don't know what to do or how to go on. And what we see, the disciples, we see sorrow mingled with fear and anxiety grips their heart, especially when Jesus talks about opposition that is coming. And what Jesus does is he doesn't ignore their sorrow. He doesn't rebuke their sorrow, but rather in their sorrow, he gives them words of comfort. He tells them that I am leaving you for your benefit so that the counselor will be sent. And then he talks about the works of the counselor. And really what I want to see uh, for us in our text today, I want us to see how Jesus comforts his disciples in the midst of sorrow through the promise that he gives them of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then also want to see the works of the Holy Spirit. That it's not, in a sense, a new work that the Holy Spirit is doing, but rather a continuing work of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so I want us to see the parallel between Jesus' earthly ministry and the works of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at John chapter 16, verse 4. It says this, But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet, because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So in the previous text, Jesus warned his disciples that opposition is coming. And the reason why opposition is coming, because his disciples are strangers. They are outsiders, not because they were born outside, but rather they were chosen out of this world. And the second reason for their opposition is because of the name of Jesus, they will be persecuted. As they continue to bear the witness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why Jesus tells them that opposition is coming so that when it comes, they're not surprised. But now in the second part of verse 4, Jesus tells them the reason I did not tell you earlier when you first signed up to follow me is because I was still with you. And in a sense, opposition would come when Jesus was with them, but he would in a sense absorb it and deflect it from them. But now that he is leaving, they are going to face the opposition. And Jesus says, I'm leaving soon. Now, if you've paid attention, and I hope you have through the entire series, especially in the Gospel of John, you're going to notice that in the three verses, there's one verse that's very odd. Look at at those verses again and tell me which verse do you think is a little odd. It's a sandwich verse. It's between verses 4 and 6. Look at verse 5. It's just an odd verse. In verse 5, Jesus says this, But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Now, if you put on your thinking caps, you're thinking for yourself a little bit. Well, wait a second here. Didn't Peter in John 13 verse 30 says to Jesus, where are you going? And didn't Thomas in John 14 verse 5 says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So both Peter and Thomas, in a sense, asked the Lord, where are you going? And now Jesus says to us in verse 5, yet none, not one of you is asking me, where are you going? And If you don't like the Bible, you're going to jump on it and say, look at this major contradiction. How can you believe that anything is true with such an obvious contradiction? Either Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, or John was just mistaken in his recording. Now, this is a difficult text, and and I'm not for certain. I can't say with absolute certainty exactly what Jesus meant, but I do believe there's a good explanation for it. It seems that both Peter and Thomas, in their question, was not really asking where Jesus was going. You're like, what do you mean by that? Didn't they ask? Yes, they did ask, but they weren't really asking. Let me give you an example. For example, this. Maybe a child was promised to go to the movies by either mom or dad. However, a work emergency showed up, which, allowed that, which, which prohibit the mom or dad of taking the child to the movie. And the very first question the child is asking is what? Where are you going? But let's just be honest, is the child really interested to know where the parent is going? Not really. They more in their question are protesting or kind of expressing their disappointment that they're no longer going to the movies. And I think this is what's happening in both Peter and Thomas's question and protesting, asking where Jesus is going. They're not really caring where Jesus is going. And when Jesus is saying, none of you really asked me where you're going, in a sense, he's saying, you didn't really ask me where I'm going. In other words, you did not ask me any thoughtful questions on what it meant for me to leave you and where I'm going and exactly what I am doing for you. In a sense, just like a child who is protesting that they can no longer go to the movies, their sorrow, in a sense, is self-absorbing. They don't care what the mom or dad has to go through or what they have to deal with or what the emergency is all about all they are concerned about is their disappointment in a sense this is what's happening to the disciples they are filled with sorrow but their sorrow is self-absorbed they don't really care where Jesus is going exactly what Jesus has to do or the significance of it all they know is he is leaving And then Jesus, even in verse six, says, Last part, yet because I have spoken these things to you, your sorrow has filled your heart. And what I love by this is Jesus does not rebuke their sorrow in a sense by saying, Hey, guys, you're a little selfish here. I got to die and you're just whining about me not being with you, he doesn't rebuke their self-absorbed sorrow, nor does he ignore their sorrow and say, you know what, Just, just get over it. You'll be fine. But what Jesus does in the next verse is Jesus comforts them in the midst of their sorrow. Look at verse seven. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And I really think if if you like to make marks in your Bible, this is a, a, a major verse in this text. Jesus starts off with this. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. In other words, what he is saying is, I know you are filled with sorrow. And I even know that your sorrow, in a sense, is self-absorbed. But I'm telling you the truth. In other words, I want you to hang on to these words that I am about to give you. Because these words I am giving you is going to provide comfort for you in the midst of your sorrow. Cling to it. And so what Jesus says is this. It is for your benefit. It is for your good that I am leaving, that I am going away. Now, this was not in your notes, and I don't put it on the screen because I always wrestle with how much to give you, and I don't want to overwhelm you. But the initial question that we have to ask is, okay, why is it for the disciples' benefit that Jesus is leaving? And I think in our text there's an explicit reason for why it's for their benefit, but then I also think there's implied reasons for why it's for their benefit. So if you like to take notes, it's not on the screen, it's not fill in the blank, it's just for you extra. I think there's three reasons of why it's for their benefit, for the disciples' benefit, that Jesus is leaving. The first one is explicit, it's in our text. Why is it for the for their benefit? Because the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's only when Jesus leaves. Will he then send the Holy Spirit? And so it's for their benefit that the Holy Spirit will be sent. And Jesus, in a sense, implies that unless Jesus departs, the counselor is not going to come to them. But if Jesus goes, he will send the counselor to them. Now, when we look at the verse, our our first maybe initial reaction is maybe this thought. So, So does that mean that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit cannot simultaneously work here on this earth? Does that mean like only one person of the Trinity can be on earth while the other two has to be in heaven? No. Even though this is an explicit one, the Holy Spirit comes, that explicit reason leads to the second reason that is implied. The second reason for why it's for their benefit that Jesus is leaving is think about the implied reason of the Spirit coming. What happens before the Spirit is being sent? The cross. So in other words, the second reason it's for their benefit is because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. The completed work of Jesus Christ. Why? Think about it. Why is Jesus leaving? Jesus is leaving to go to the Father and to send the Spirit. But what happens on his way to the Father and send the Spirit? The cross. So Jesus is leaving for their benefits, to go to the cross, to pay for their sins, to satisfy God's wrath that was geared towards them, to set them free from the bondages of sin, to be buried, to be resurrected, to ascend, to be exalted, to sit at the right hand of the Father, and as a result, to send the Holy Spirit. So obviously, the completed work of Jesus Christ greatly benefits them. Why? Because it pays for their sins in full. And it's because of the cross that leads to the exaltation where the Spirit can be sent. And so it's for their benefit that Jesus leaves because of the sending of the Holy Spirit, because of the complete work of Jesus on the cross. And the third implied reason is because of the work to be done by the Holy Spirit. Think about this. By the Spirit coming, it is a fulfillment of many biblical prophecies. And the Spirit coming characterizes the kingdom of God. And what it does, it also breeds this anticipation of the full consummation of the kingdom of God. In other words, by the work of the Holy Spirit being poured on the people of God and dwelling in the people of God, now we're one step closer to the restoration of all things, to the full consummation of the kingdom of God. And so it benefits them. That we're one step closer. The next thing we're waiting for is Christ's return. And so Jesus comforts them in in their midst of their sorrow. And In a sense, he's telling them, this is what I want you to hold on to. This is the comfort in the midst of sorrow that I am leaving. And the reason I'm leaving is for your benefit because I'm going to the cross for you. I will return to the Father. And when I'm with the Father, you will not be alone because I will send the Spirit. And this is the work that the Spirit is going to do. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, When he comes, that is the counselor, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will do what? He will convict, verse 8, the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And if we have to be really honest when we look at these verses, we're wondering what in the world does all of this mean? Let me try to unpack it in the the simplest form for us to understand. Just as Jesus is the light of the world and basically forced a division among people, those who believe in him, those who don't those who went to the light and those who retreated back in darkness. What is the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is going to continue this work. So if you're taking notes, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing the continuing work of the Holy Spirit that's really continuing the earthly ministry of Jesus. And when I mean by that, I'm not implying the cross. The work on the cross is finished. The Holy Spirit has nothing to do with it. But there are some roles that Jesus did on this earth that the Holy Spirit is going to continue. And the very first thing that he's going to continue to do if you're taking notes is by exposing the darkness. The Holy Spirit is going to expose darkness. We've already read throughout John that Jesus is what? He is the light of the world. And what does the light do? The light exposes darkness. But what do the people of this world love? They love the darkness. So what do they do with the light? They avoid it. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do is He's going to continue this ministry by exposing the darkness. And how is He going to expose the darkness? By convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So if you look at verse 8, it basically summarizes what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But then we get to verse 9, verses 10, and verses 11. Then he unpacks every single phrase. You follow with me? Okay. So how will the Holy Spirit expose darkness? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 9, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin... Why? He tells us, because they do not believe in me. So the very first thing the Holy Spirit is going to do, that is uh, is in verse 9. He's going to convict the world about sin because they do not believe in me. And what we have to understand is this is not a reference uh, to the conviction that leads to repentance and salvation, but rather it is a conviction of inexcusable guilt. The word convict here is not the idea of kind of cut to the heart, but rather it's a legal term. When you're convicted in a legal term, what does it mean? You're guilty. So what, the, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to convict the world of its guilt. He's going to tell the world of its inexcusable guilt. And why is the world guilty? Because they do not believe in Jesus. Because they continue in their unbelief. And not only does it bring condemnation, but it's also a willful ignorance of their need. And what the Holy Spirit is going to continue to do, he is going to continue press into the world, convicting them of their sin, exposing their guilt, even as they continue in their unbelief. And this convicting work is not a condemning work, but it is a gracious work. It is a work that's designed to bring men and women of the world to recognize their need, that they are guilty of their rebellion against God, and to turn to Jesus and thus stop being the world. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He pushes by back darkness by convicting the world of its guilt, by constantly telling the world, you are guilty and your guilt is inexcusable because you refuse to believe and i think we we see examples today Uh, i was watching the news last night about the new uh, web telescope and and the pictures that this new telescope is taking and the um, I don't know his name, but he was the main administrator of NASA, and he says these pictures is a spiritual experience because they take us to where life begins. And I'm thinking to myself, you're absolutely right because life begins not with stars, but where life comes from, God. And yet all the evidence lays out that there was an intelligent creator, yet the world will refuse to believe. And the Holy Spirit says, you are guilty. Second thing the Holy Spirit will do in exposing darkness, not only does He convict the world of its sin because they do not believe in Him, but but look at verse 10. He will convict the world about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. Now, again, one of the rules of Jesus coming into the world is He is the light of the world and He will expose the darkness For what it is. In other words, he will expose its empty righteousness that it clings to compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is leaving, who's going to continue this convicting work and expose the empty righteousness of this world? The Holy Spirit. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the followers of Jesus who are empowered by the Spirit, who will live their lives in such conformity to Christ that they will have the same impact that as the world observes them, they will see Jesus, and they will see that the righteousness that they are clinging to is empty compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And even think about the world's definition of righteousness. Like, think about the standards of the world. Think about the the empty righteousness that the world is clinging to. Like, think about the, the false philosophy. And what does the Holy Spirit do in this false philosophy, this empty righteousness? He's exposing it for what it is, saying this righteousness cannot be compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Like We live in a world where it's celebrated to murder innocent lives and we call it health care. We live in a, in a world where you define your own gender by what you think and how you feel and we think that's a righteous thing. And what the Holy Spirit does is He says, no, that is empty. You cannot compare it to the righteousness of Christ. And he does it to the liberal, but he also does it to you conservative people. Because your own righteousness that you're clinging to, thinking that you are good enough to stand in the presence of God, he is saying, you and all of your best behavior are like dirty rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. And he's telling you, is empty. Is he exposing it? And this is what the Holy Spirit does. And he continues to do it. The third one, not only does he convict the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus, but they also convict the world of its righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father. The last one, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of his judgment because the ruler of this world will be judged. What he is saying, in a sense, the world's judgment is profoundly wrong and morally perverse. Why is it profoundly wrong and morally perverse? Because of the ruler of this world. He is known as the devil and the father of lies. And the world is known as the children of the father of lies. And they follow in the father of lies' footsteps in their deception where they call wrong, right, and right, wrong. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He exposes it for what it is. Why? Because the ruler of this world will be judged. The triumph of Jesus Christ on the cross have left Satan defeated. And if Satan is defeated because of the victory of the cross, this false judgment will be exposed for what it is. And the need for the conviction of such false judgment is urgent in the world that already stands condemned and is in desperate need to learn of their predicament. So think about this. The disciples are filled with sorrow. Jesus comforts them and tells them, it's for your benefit that I leave. Because of the work that's going to be done, that's going to lead to the Spirit being sent. And this is the work that the Holy Spirit is going to do. He is basically going to continue the work I've started, not the work on the cross that's done. The work I started on earth by just as I was the light of the world exposing the darkness, so the Holy Spirit is going to come and expose the guilt of this world, the false righteousness, the empty righteousness, and the false judgment of this world. And Jesus continues to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. It says this, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truthful. He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So, so if you're taking notes, the second continuing work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth. Now, what does that mean? First of all, we have to understand what truth is. What does Jesus claim to be? Jesus claims to be the truth. And when the Spirit of truth comes it means that he will lead the disciples into all truth. In other words, he will lead them in all the implications and the significance of the truth that is bound up with Jesus Christ. The guidance in all truth has nothing to do with new information, but rather a deeper understanding of the glories and of the riches of Jesus Christ. And even think about this, we saw how the Holy Spirit led these disciples, these apostles into all truth, where later on they would write about the person and the work and the mission of Jesus Christ. And even if you've studied this book for over 2,000 years, you are just amazed by their understanding of the implications and the significance of the glories and the riches of Christ and how it impacts the life of the believer, that even the most Studious theologian at times are just stumped. And what happened? It was because the Holy Spirit was showing these disciples, these apostles, the implications and the significance and the glories and the riches of Jesus Christ. And what we also see in the text, and I don't want to confuse you too much, but we see this beautiful unity among the triune God. Let me read this verse to you just so you can see the unity, and then I will unpack it for you a little bit. Verse 13, the second, last sentence of verse 13. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come like think about this unity that exists between the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is implying is just as Jesus never spoke or acted on his own initiative, but only said and did exactly what the Father gave him to say and do, so the Holy Spirit does the exact same thing. He only speaks on what he hears. And as Jesus This perfect obedience to the Father ensures that Jesus isn't just a mortal man or a competing deity. He is the revelation of God himself. So also we see the Spirit is in utter dependence and only speaks what he hears. And again, this shows us this, this distinction among the triune God but also the unity among the triune God and the revelation of the triune God that's graciously given to us. And the last part of verse 13 says, And the Holy Spirit will also declare to you what is to to come. So what does that mean? Uh, Many people think that it means the revelation of the end times that's exemplified in the book of Revelation. I don't know if i can buy into it here's why because i don't think the context of this text justifies such a futuristic theme but rather again what's happening in the context jesus is telling them that he's going to leave has he left not yet has he gone to the cross not yet they are filled with sorrow they don't really fully understand what jesus is doing why jesus is leaving them And what the Holy Spirit is going to do as he guides them in all truth, he's also going to unpack to them the significance of what the events is going to happen, like his death, burial, resurrection, and also ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit guides them in all truth, basically uh, fleshing out the implications of God's triumphant self disclosure in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we see the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus by exposing darkness, guiding in all truth. And the third one, if you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit is continuing the ministry of Jesus on earth by glorifying the Son glorifying the son look at verse 14 he will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you everything the father has is mine this is why i told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare to you so what is the holy spirit going to do he glorifies the son John has showed us already how Jesus has revealed his glory and how Jesus is receiving glory from the Father. And Jesus' purpose is to glorify the Father. And what the Holy Spirit is now going to do is to glorify the Son. And he glorifies the Son by taking what is Jesus and declaring it to them. And again, this does not mean just simply passing on information, but rather a revelation that is bound up in the person, in the work and mission of Christ that's pressed in on the disciples so that when they can write of the significance of Jesus, they are led by the Holy Spirit that brings glory to Christ as, as, as revelation occurs to them again look think about the beauty of the trinity and and then we're done we're going to talk about application since what the father says and does the son says and does but notice what the spirit does the spirit doesn't take from the father and gives to us but rather the spirit takes from who he takes from the son and makes it known to the disciples And the content of what Jesus is is nothing less than the revelation of the Father himself. For Jesus declares that he belongs to the Father. And so it's not like kind of dissing the Father that that Spirit is taking from the Son because Jesus continually saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I do exactly what the Father tells me to do and the Spirit does exactly what the Son tells him to do. And so when the Spirit takes from the Son, in a sense he's taking from the Father and when the Spirit glorifies the Son, the Father has declared that the Son should be highly exalted and should be glorified by all. We'll stop here because I don't want you to get confused here. So let's talk about application. Again, I don't know about you, but I've personally really wrestled um, just with the whole Gospel of John because it's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by the little details. We get lost in the weeds, and then we don't really know what the text is all about because we're stumbling over, what in the world does this verse mean? What in the world does that verse mean? let's zoom out a little bit and talk about application here what's going on in our text jesus is leaving we know that he said that how are the disciples feeling right now they're filled with sorrow their sorrow is a little self-absorbed jesus doesn't rebuke them in their sorrow he doesn't ignore their sorrow but he addresses their sorrow And what does he give them in the midst of their sorrow? He gives them words of comfort by reminding them that what he is doing is for their benefit. And so for the disciples, I think here's the first thing we can learn, the first application, is that in the midst of sorrow, Jesus is reminding his disciples that he is working. And I think we can apply this to our lives. When we find ourselves in the midst of sorrow, the words of comfort that Jesus gave the disciples are words of comfort that he gives us today. That Jesus is working. Now there's a little caveat between us and the disciples because when Jesus gave them the words, he told them it's for their benefit that he is leaving. And what was he talking about? He's talking about that he is going to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he will pay for their sins. He will satisfy God's wrath for them. And then he will return to the Father, and he will send the Holy Spirit. That was the work that Jesus comforted them that he is doing for them in the midst of their sorrow. But for us, the work of the cross is finished. The price has been paid. The Holy Spirit has been sent. So now you're wondering, okay, great. What is Jesus doing right now in the midst of my sorrow? Well, Jesus, even though the work on the cross is finished, and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, there's two things that Jesus is constantly doing. Jesus, how is Jesus working right now for you in the midst of your sorrow? The Bible says he is your mediator and your intercessor. He mediates a new and better covenant between you and God, a covenant that he made by his blood. And the Bible says that he lives to intercede for you. Now, I wish I can unpack those two thoughts. Um, I give you Bible references for your homework. Um, If you're taking notes, Romans 8.34, Hebrews 7.25, in Hebrews 8, 6. That's for your homework. Maybe you can study the role of Christ as mediator and intercessor. But just think about this. In the midst of your sorrow, regardless of what the sorrow is, the comfort that you have in the midst of it is Jesus is working for you. He's your mediator. He is your intercessor and so regardless of what sorrow you're facing whether it is feeling betrayed or abandoned or mourning the loss of a loved one or maybe an unfortunate event that have occurred or maybe facing injustices jesus is saying what i want you to hold on to is i'm working for you as your mediator and your intercessor The second thing, that Jesus comforts his disciples in their sorrow, if you're taking notes, in the midst of the sorrow, not only is Jesus working, but the Holy Spirit is working. Remember, what was he telling his disciples? He was comforting his disciples by saying, look, I am leaving and it's for your benefit, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. What he is telling them is not only am I working for you, but the Holy Spirit is working also. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, He told us in our text. He exposes the world of its guilt, of its empty righteousness, of its false judgment. Like like it is so easy for us in a world that seems so crazy, that have gone off the deep end for us to be sorrowful, for us to be hopeless, thinking that everything is falling apart, that God is not working anymore because look at the deception that is going on. And what Jesus is saying is, no, my spirit is still here. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He exposes the darkness for what it is. He convicts the world of its guilt, of its empty righteousness, and its false judgment. And even though you might not be seeing it right now, that is his job. That is his work. And so we can take comfort in the midst of all the chaos that's going on. Jesus is working, the Spirit is working when we engage the world, when we engage family members or our lost friends and we feel like, man, they have drank some Kool-Aid. I don't know what kind of pills they're taking. We can take comfort knowing that the Spirit is working. He will expose the darkness. But that's not the only thing He does because He also guides into all truth. He also glorifies the Son by taking what is from the Son and declaring it to us. And for the disciples, that meant revelation as they were inspired to write the word. But for us... You're not receiving any new revelation, but rather it is illumination to understand as you read what has been disclosed about the glories and riches of Christ in the word that you may be able to understand it, that you may be able to be captivated by it as you think about the implications and the significance and the beauty and the glories and the riches of Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy in the midst of sorrow to be discouraged Where we feel like we are alone, no one cares, no good is happening around us. But what Jesus does is he comforts them and he comforts us, saying, I'm working. My spirit is working. And the last one, if you're taking notes, you are not alone. You are not alone. What do you have? You have the Spirit. He's known as the Counselor. He's known as the Comforter, the Advocate, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ that is living inside of you. But not only do you have the Spirit, you also have the people of God. How comforting is it to know that in our sorrow, Christ is working, the Spirit is working, and we are not alone. So when we find ourselves in the midst of sorrow, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, when we feel defeated, and we feel like we are alone, what do we do? We fix our eyes on Christ. We are reminded of the glorious truth that he is working. And for us, he is our mediator and our intercessor. We're reminded of his spirit is right here with us right now inside of us, working. I'm not on an island by myself. It's not me against the world. I am not alone. I have his spirit and I have brothers and sisters that can come alongside of me. And so my instruction for you is this, in your sorrow, whether it's a little self-absorbed or over-exaggerated, Jesus addresses it and says, yes, look to me. I am working. Fix your eyes on Christ. And when we get to the table, this is why we, we end the proclamation of the word at the table because the entire word points to Christ. We're at the table. We are reminded of who Christ is and the work that he's done for us and all the benefits we get to share in Jesus Christ. Later on next week, we're going to see how Jesus says that in your sorrow, it will turn to joy and no one can take your joy from you. Why will their sorrow be turned into joy? Because they will see that Christ did not remain dead and the victory that he has accomplished for them. And what can take our sorrow and turn it into joy when we fix our eyes on Christ and we are reminded of who he is and what he's accomplished for us and all the benefits we have in Christ and the significance of it. Like like even in our confession and assurance, man, that confession was rough. Let's just be honest. The day of the Lord is a day of trembling and fear. Fear. And we should not nullify it. It should be a day of trembling and fear. But why will be able to well, we will we be able to endure it? Because of Jesus Christ. What joy, what victory. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for us and we get to sit at the table. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing right now as our mediator and our intercessor, that you are our great high priest. You are our sacrifice. They have sacrificed yourself once and for all, and you are the priest that lives forever. We thank you for your spirit that you have given us. Thank you that we are not alone. And Lord, I, I pray for each and every one in this room. You know, you know them by name. You know what they're thinking. You know what, how they're feeling. You know what they're going through. You even know what they are going to go through. The sorrows that they're going to face. The pain, the suffering. And Lord, can you help them to fix their eyes on you? To believe that you are working, that your spirit is working, to believe in the victory that you have accomplished for them on the cross by paying for their sins in full, by satisfying the wrath of God and offering forgiveness, new life, and reconciliation. Help us as a people to keep believing it. And for those who don't believe it, Lord, help them to look to you. Expose their guilt. Expose their empty righteousness and their false judgment that they're clinging to. May they see the reality of their rebellion against you. The righteousness that they think is good enough is dirty. And their judgment is morally corrupt and perverse. Help them to turn to you. And to trust you and to believe in you we ask all of this in jesus name amen as we hand out the elements during the process of handing out the elements i want to encourage you meditate on christ's work on your behalf even when you find yourself in a moment of sorrow look to him and think about all the benefits that you have in jesus christ let's go ahead and distribute these elements so grateful for the work of Christ on my behalf that it's not something that I need to do but rather something that was done for me that he took all of my sins all the wrath that I was fully deserving because of my rebellion he took it upon himself paid for it in full By his body and by his blood and establish a new covenant between me and god that he mediates that i can be accepted by god that there's no more condemnation and god's judgment towards me because the condemnation christ has suffered the judgment christ has faced and god accepts me because of christ's righteousness not mine this is the message of the gospel this is what we can cling to in the midst of our sorrow and this is what we're reminded of when we gather at the people of God and we proclaim the word of God and we distribute the elements of God his body was given to you eat it in remembrance of him his blood was shed for you the new covenant that he has established for you between you and god drink it in remembrance of him can you just take a moment and just thank the lord for the work he's done for you can you ask the Lord to help you to believe? And even in the midst of sorrow, can you ask the Lord to help you to cling to him, to look to him, to trust in him, to rest in him? Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. We thank you for the work that you have done. Thank you for the work that you are doing. And thank you for the work that you're going to do. Where you will come back and make all things new. And Lord, help us In the midst of already and not yet and the last days as we're waiting help us to persevere help us to fix our eyes on you help us to run this race with endurance we ask all of this in jesus name amen can we stand can we worship our lord and savior